0: Hi, you're listening to Birthing Babes podcast and my name is Juan. Um, So this week Akira's new words are yay and down, but her down is more like pick me up. So every time she wants to be picked up, she goes down um, and we try to go up. It's, It's up, say up and she's just like down. So she's really adamant on using down for everything at the moment. Um... The toddler tantrums are coming in very strong. Last night, we had a really shitty night um, of her uh, getting her to sleep. She was so overtired, but, um, you know, of course, sleep is not an option. Um, She wanted to get off the bed. Then she wanted to get into her cot. um, So she cried for me to pick her up, of course, down. um, And then she cried because I put her into her cot. So I picked her up again, put her on the floor. She cried because I put her on the floor, didn't like that either, um, walked around the cot again crying, um, swatting my hands away, more crying, and then wanted me to pick her up again for cuddles, said no to milk, cried, and then said yes to milk, and then she went to sleep, and this literally happens within like five minutes, it's just crazy, Um work has been extra busy and um on days where i have akira home with me she gets to watch more tv than usual um but she also does a lot of pretend play by herself so i guess that's good i do feel kind of bad that you know tv is the babysitter but at the moment it's just it just kind of have to be done at the moment to get everything all ready for end of the year um but I do have to make sure that I don't leave like a packet of wipes within her reach because you go away for five minutes, you come back and all the wipes are next to her. <laughs> but the cute thing is that she tried to um, clean with the wipes, and she does try to put them back, um, put them back into the pack. So this episode also is the last episode of the year and let's get right into it. I've got Lisa with me. Hi. Uh, (laughs) Hi Lisa. (laughs) Tell me, um, tell us about who you are and what you do.
1: Um, I'm a potter and um, my name's Lisa and I live in Melbourne. Mm
0: -hmm. Lisa Perry?
1: Lisa Perry. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, how long have you been doing... How long have you been a potter?
1: Um, so I went back to university in 2012. Mm-hmm. So then I did two years at Fed, Federation University in Ballarat. Mm-hmm. And then I started the business in the December that I finished uni. So it would have been 2014.
0: So you have... Um, what were you doing before? So I started
1: out well, a long time ago mm-hmm. doing... I worked... I trained as which doesn't exist anymore, a preschool mothercraft nurse.
2: What is that?
1: So originally we were working in hospitals helping new mothers learn how to bath their babies, how to feed their babies, how to look after their baby. Um, And then they phased mothercraft nurses out of maternity hospitals Mm. and pushed preschool mothercrafts into long daycare.
2: Right.
1: So I worked... On the floor in long daycare for a number of years then I started managing some services mm. and my final job was I went to um, to work for FKA which is a service that supports newly arrived and refugee migrant families yeah and I was an advocate for those families yeah when int- when they were going into long daycare and kindergarten
2: mm. Mm.
1: So sort of support the services with bilingual information yeah. and some information and tips about how to support the families, how to build relationships. Yeah. But also to support the families because obviously there's a huge cultural difference for a lot mm. of families. Some families have never used long day care. Some families have only ever had their families care for their children. Yeah. So there's a lot of support and communication needs to happen. Right. For the families to be really supported by the services and for the families to feel confident.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: That's what I was doing. Yeah. Then we did a tree change and we moved to Blackwood near Dalesford, mm-hmm. And I started doing a community clay thing on a Thursday night with a girlfriend because yeah. we just wanted to have something out of the house. Yeah. And the teacher was Kim Hoffey, who's a ceramicist who lives near Ballarat. Mm -hmm. She suggested that I go to university. And my first thought was I'm too old. So I would have been 41
2: Mm.
1: or 2. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll apply. Anyway, I got in. Mm. And the first day of uni, Neville French was my teacher and all the way home i just cried in the it was like this huge emotional release like i'd found my thing Uh after all these years where i thought i was doing my thing but i couldn't i was just i just sobbed i couldn't stop crying it was just this huge emotional connection wow and i've been working with clay every day since yeah very rarely do i not do something yeah
0: Mm. so what was your course lisa
1: so it was a um, diploma in ceramics, um. which doesn't exist anymore, mm. of course. So <clears throat> when the government cut funding to the to the TAFS, mm. a lot of the arts were pushed out. A lot yeah. of the diploma level arts were pushed out, and yeah. so I think that um, the degree that they run at Federation Uni now has an advanced diploma. I think they brought that back in, or to work alongside with the degree, right? I'm not sure Mm. but I think it left a big hole because a lot of people wanted to get in wanted to actually learn how to make a bowl how do I make a plate how do I and I think the degree while it's much more intense Mm. and it explores your conceptual ideas Mm. I think that there's a bit missing in in actually well how do I make a glaze how do I fire a kiln how do I throw a bowl
0: yeah yeah. I think
1: the diploma really filled that hole really well.
0: Yeah, and it's well, obviously it goes longer than workshops. Yes. Because it's a whole, um, you know, months, if not how how long? Two years. Two it years, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's obviously more intensive, right? Mm. Yeah. And because I know, I'm not sure
1: about all the higher ed students, but at Federation Uni, the staff were actually firing the kilns and yeah. making the glaze. Yeah. Whereas the diploma, Neville, we were actually firing the kilns with him. And in the last year of my diploma, Bridget Bodenham was my teacher. And okay. so we were firing kilns, we were yep. making glazes. So you sort of learn everything from the ground up. Yeah.
0: That's a really small community because as, um, well, as some of you may know, Bridget Bodenham is also in the maker industry now. Um, yeah, what a small community. Mm. So Bridget had actually
1: trained at the same university,
0: yeah,
1: in the same course,
2: yeah,
1: and they'd started to close down the course. Had started the first year I was there, I think, mm. and they retrenched some of the staff, and mm. so they brought Bridget in, who was already a practicing artist. Yeah, they brought Bridget in on a casual basis to fill in for the teachers that were made redundant or were given packages.
2: Ah,
1: oh, mm. I see. <clears throat> so in one way it was terrible, but in another way it was great because Bridget's support and ideas were you're fantastic and I guess she was learning at the same time we were. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um. So that
0: was 2012 T- 12 and 13. 12. Right. Um, and then you, did you just started your own business straight away or how did you come about?
1: I started applying for markets. Yeah. And I was lucky – I'm lucky in that I have a partner and so the business didn't have to support itself straight away. Mm. I didn't feel the pressure to sell and I think that was such a huge advantage Mm. for me. Mm. Um, But the whole learning thing – I know a lot of people when they leave university they they do a lot of work behind the scenes to build – a body of work and the photographs. I didn't do that, and probably not in the right way. But I just jumped in with both feet. Yeah. Maybe that was my age too, because I kept thinking, well, it's not like I'm in my twenties. Mm-hmm. Um. So I just started applying for things, yeah. and I was getting in, and I just was like, oh my, wow, that was great. Yeah. And so then it all I just learned on the run. Really,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad in. On reflection, I think I probably would have been a lot more hesitant to put my work out there if I hadn't done that. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's such a exposing, It's you feel so exposed when you put your work out into the public arena for the first time or to have people judge something that comes from your soul really. Yeah. So I'm sort of glad that I was, it was all fairly quick. I didn't have time to think about what I felt about that. Yeah. So in one way it was good.
0: So you started doing markets. Do you remember your first market?
1: Um, I think it was the Potter's Expo at Fed Square, Federation Square. Your first doesn't...
0: market was a Potter Expo.
1: Yeah, but I think there was a there was a group of us from the university. So I'm not sure whether we got in as a like an emerging group. I can't really remember. That's and I'm... still
0: a big deal.
1: Well. I thought it was a big deal. I was yeah. a bit overwhelmed. So that unfortunately that market is not held there anymore. And um, Jane Anwar who runs those runs the markets, yeah. she was running one at Fed Square and one at Warrandy, the Warrandyte Potters Expo. Yeah. And now just the Warrandite Yeah
0: Potters Expo. Do you do that exists. anymore?
1: I did that once, but I haven't done that for a couple of years. Part of the problem was when Frank got sick, I sort of tapped out for about yep. 18 months. Yep. And then we went overseas. So it's in February every year, and we, yeah. we weren't here for February. Mm. But um, I did chat to Jane at the ceramics market, and I think I probably will apply for the following year.
0: Mm. I like going there. It's really, I love, um, I went to Warrandyte High School. Oh. And I used to live in Eltham. So um, I think any excuse to go back to Warrandite, yeah sometimes we go for walks Mm. um haven't been there in a while i remember going walking with dan one day and i was pregnant and there were geckos everywhere and i was i'm scared of geckos (laughs) and frogs and then they keep getting bigger and bigger as as further you walk in um, down the river and then i'm like whoa that one's massive and dan goes oh that's a snake i think we i think we should (laughs) head back (laughs)
1: It is really beautiful down by the river, which yeah. is yeah where the expo is. It's got a really lovely, relaxed feel about it, mm. and has the most amazing potters. Yeah, attend. Yeah, mm. it's
0: so nice to um like the Melbourne Ceramics Market. Um, some people might question like why would you have people who does the same um do the same things in one place? But yes, they do the same things, but their work are so different. I think that's that
1: surprised me initially. The first one they ran was in Fitzroy in a smaller venue. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I noticed was how diverse mm-hmm. everybody's work is. Mm-hmm. And I think that you... It, going in there and, and looking at people's work mm-hmm. is that you can... Even though you might be drawn to one person in particular... Mm-hmm. It's still you can still go around and almost buy something off every storeholder, yeah. like it's that kind of yeah, because it's all so different,
0: yeah, i w- i went to um check it out, the last one that just passed, but you were too busy with a puppy. <laughs> Oh, did I, you see that I saw you and that puppy I'm like I'm not gonna interrupt <laughs> um, and then when I walked past again you were busy with customers so I didn't get to say hello but um, it was yeah it was a really nice vibe and everyone works was different and people love ceramics and mm. the only reason I didn't buy anything was that I left my cat pocket money at home oh. so <laughs> I think that um the nice thing about
1: that market is. It's also a chance for all of us to see each other. Yeah. And so there's lots of discussions about clays, new glazes. Mm. Um, what do you think about this idea? You know, how, how do you fire? Mm. Oh, could could you come and fire with me? Like it's That's really, lovely. it's really lovely. Yeah. And um, yeah, because it's one of the few because it's such a it's a smaller market than finders. Mm. You actually can chat to your storeholders mm. and.
0: I like that sense of community yeah and it's nice that um people see it as a community instead of competition Mm. and um i think you know i think we tend to forget that we're in you know it's actually us the small business against bigger businesses like the department stores and you know it's we're we're a community um we're small and local and we want people to shop with us instead of supporting the bigger brands. That's right. Yeah. So, but I
1: think there's so much there's so much advantage into being open and supporting each other. Mm. And I think that you can. I know with my house, so I collect a lot of ceramics, yeah. but I also buy all of my Christmas presents or birthday presents if I'm at a handmade market. I we don't. I don't do retail. I detest. Yeah the noise the smell the whole thing
0: yeah
1: but when you use a cup of someone it's it's made by someone you know who you're emotionally connected to yeah there's something about that that's so much more than you know getting a bargain somewhere or i don't i don't know i think for me Mm. i know my my children all have their favorite cup but it's always by their favorite ceramicist that's lovely it's that connection to the vessel
0: yeah Mm. um it's lovely it's lovely using something that um that you know that people actually sweat (laughs) yeah i think so as weird as that sounds. well because
1: there's a little bit of every person in that cup Mm. that's Mm. that's how we sort of that's how you you know you think about it when you think about that person you think about the memories you got with that person when you're drinking out of the cup. Yeah, that
0: sounds a bit creepy,
1: doesn't it? <laughs> but you know,
0: <laughs> you know what? I always find the term "handmade with love" a bit funny, because I know for the fact that if I'm stressing out to meet a deadline, I don't make stuff with love. I'm just like,
2: fuck, yeah, no I'm love. Like
0: stressing, lots of swearing. So, um, if you do buy my candles, just <laughs> remember that not all pizzas. <laughs> we're made with love (laughs) i think you're i think you're right and ceramics is
1: so notoriously um temperamental that at every stage something so particularly if you've got a deadline or you're working with somebody you haven't worked with before Mm. and you're producing something that's not part of your normal range Mm. you can put money on the fact that something will happen with the clay body or the glaze or the kiln will malfunction and you're right it's there's times where I go to bed and I think why what what am I thinking? <laughs> this is a lot of pressure. But the upside is being at the ceramics market, for example, mm. I had Lyndon from Sailor Boy on one side and Kate Catherine Wheeler ceramics on the other. Mm. And it's like for two days, it's like you just go it's like being at a party where you just yeah. chat with your friends and yep. There's there's so many advantages. The yeah. flexibility with my family mm. as well is mm. great. But yeah, you're right. There are times where you just think, "Oh, I don't think I'm cut out for this."
0: Yeah. But it's um, it's really stressful having your own mm, you know, um the but the con the pros, the good bits are
1: great, also. That's right. Like yeah. today. Mm. Like when it's so like, would you like to come for a chat? It's like, yes, I'll just yeah. make tomorrow instead. And so yeah. the flexibility with a family mm. is great. Mm.
0: Mm. So let's talk about your kids. You have four. I have four. Mm-hmm. So I have um,
1: the – Angus is the oldest. He's, he is turning 26 this year.
0: I thought – okay, I thought um,
1: – Jez? Yeah, I she's Jez second. the oldest. No, Jez yeah. is 20. So she's turning – She's 22, she's 23 next year. Miranda is 17 and she's doing her second last day of school. Mm. And Esther's 11.
0: So I met Esther um, at the market. Did you? The other week. She came to, with Frank to help you pack up. Yeah. Well, by helping when I mean she went straight to the chair. <laughs> yeah. And usually it's like, can I have a hot chocolate? <laughs> yeah, she was saying something to you, saying a lot of things to you. But... <laughs> I was just like packing up. I don't
2: know what's going on. She's
1: so clever. I think fourth mm. child. There's been so many adult conversations happen oh, really? over the head of this child that she says the most adult statements. Mm. It's kind of like, where do you come from? Like,
0: what? Do you think because everyone is grown up, and I think she so. kind of like, well, I have to catch up otherwise.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think that we're mindful. I often have to say to the older kids when they come for dinner. Mm-hmm. To Angus and Jesma both live out of home. Mm sadly Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of conversations that happen political things um natural disasters things Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have had conversations when Angus and Jesma and Miranda were little and so we've had to be really mindful to not have particularly as Jesma and Angus uh evolving into adults and they're sharing their political views right um it's a lot for an 11-year-old. So we've we've kind of tried to pull that back a little bit. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think there's been a lot of conversations that she's witnessed that you don't normally hear when you're seven about the conflict in wherever or, you know, and I worked with refugee families and newly arrived migrant families. And mm. so there was always a lot of political discussion about the government's view on refugees and... So she's she she certainly had a lot of those discussions around the table. Yeah, mm. which I don't know. She's very she's very politically aware. Yeah, and she's really good with the Trump jokes. She's really <laughs> got good one liners for Trump. <laughs> um, but yeah, in some ways, I think that's probably been a lot for a little girl mm. to have. So. Mm. Yeah, we're trying to sort of you know talk more about unicorns and. Oh, but that's she's interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, she's not interested in um, you know, unicorns. She's not. I <laughs> know oh, it's really hard. Yeah. Um. Mm. Um. So Angus was your first, first yeah. baby. Yeah. Um, and you were working as we. What were you doing? In long day care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's a few years ago. More than a few years ago. Mm. um, Do you remember the pregnancy and the birth for yeah. Angus? Yeah. I don't think it ever leaves. Yeah. I think it's a...
1: Yeah, it's something that you don't... It's not the pain. It's more the whole fear of what was happening or... The trauma. The trauma. Yeah. I mean, it's... I remember I was... So I had Angus at the Mercy mm-hmm. in Melbourne.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they... um. So Angus was overdue mm-hmm. and I, I was being seen by um, a team of people that were doing some experimental things about trying to induce birth. And so they they put me, um, they booked me in for this procedure called light help. I don't even know if they're still doing it. And mind you, this was like nearly 26 years ago. So they inserted a camera with a light into the cervix and shone a light on the baby's face because somehow this was the idea was that it would induce labour. Wow. And so I remember seeing his the top of his face and his hair. So oh my I knew God. he had hair. And Oh of you get to see the You can actually and see, yeah. And of course that didn't work. So
0: <laughs> Wake up baby. Yeah.
1: So um They induced me with a drip which was not fun Mm. And I remember, so I started contracting fairly quickly Mm. And I was leaning on the windows looking out on the road And Collingwood was playing Essendon at the MCG And I can remember watching these people walk past the football thinking How can you go on with life? Do you know what's happening to me?
0: (laughs) right cuz it's next to the um it's on the, the way, station that's right,
1: on the way to the mcg yeah
0: um
1: but i also remember feeling really angry at women because i just thought this is a conspiracy why does nobody talk about how horrible this is and you know, all the people that are so excited for you to be pregnant yeah and i thought but nobody says
0: no one tells how you about terrible the terrible this yeah.
1: whole process one The whole romantic notion that you're going to go into labour naturally and then you're going to labour for up to 12 hours (laughs) and then you're going to, you know, deliver vaginally.
0: Yeah, when you sneeze and the baby just comes in. Yeah, and it's
1: all love and, you know, beautiful. So they induced me and I laboured, look, I can't remember, it was about 12 hours, I think. Mm. And I got to the stage where the contractions were rolling on top of one another and right. they kept saying, this midwife kept saying to me, you must need to push. And I kept thinking, I don't know, what's that <laughs> feel like? And I said, no, I don't need to do anything. Anyway, they gave me an epidural and they said, "We'll just wait. Okay. And then about four hours after that, Angus was distressed and so then it was like running, running to theatre and so oh. that was that was not pleasant. Yeah. But at that stage, I just wanted it out. I didn't right. care whether it was animal, mineral, vegetable. Just get it out and <laughs> just stop this. But it was really funny because I didn't know that you had to get fully undressed. So I still had a bra on. And for so the, that, To go into theatre? No. to in, like, like that morning when they took me, when they induced me, I had a bra and undies under my pyjamas thinking, oh, well, there won't be any action yet. <laughs> but So once they'd put the drip in... Then they couldn't get my bra right. off. yeah, yeah. So they had to take my bra off and then thread it up over the drip.
0: <laughs> Why? <laughs> to get was it off. your bra wire or something? Because I had the drip in my arm. No, no, sorry. Why do you Yeah, act? they had to
1: take it off, I think, to go into theatre. Oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, so I had him and it wasn't like it is now where they hold the baby up so you can see. Mm. There was no visual at all. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, I had a, I just still had the epidural in my back. So they just topped that up, and then they delivered the baby. And for those people who've had seizures, it happens quite quickly, fifteen minutes in, mm-hmm. and then you've got to lay there for another forty-five minutes while they sew everything back up, and it's mm. just you laying there. And I remember thinking, oh. this, this is not what it's supposed to be. So Frank. Frank went with Angus, so they send the partner or the birthing partner with the baby. And so Frank goes off and...
0: So at this point you still haven't I haven't seen
1: him at all. I knew he was a boy, but that's all I knew. Wow. Then they wheeled me out of theatre into, I assume it was recovery, Mm. but it was only me. So I'm not sure. The other recovery awards I've been on, there's been three or four people, but it was just me in this small room. Yeah. And mum and dad, I think, were in there and mum said, have you seen the baby? And I said, no. And so mum undressed him and held him up so I could see him. And I don't think I touched him. Anyway, they wheeled me back onto the ward and then that was sort of it. And I'm thinking because it was an emergency caesar in those days you weren't allowed to sit you weren't allowed to sit up you had to lay Mm. and I had a rope tied to the end of the bed and you used to pull yourself you had to pull yourself up with this rope so you didn't stretch the scar or the wound but I couldn't sit up so how I was feeding him and I don't know why I didn't ring the bell for a nurse Mm. but I would pick him up reach my hand over, pick him up by the front of the nighty.
0: Oh, my gosh. Because
1: you weren't allowed to put them in your own clothes back then and then just pick him up and then bring him over and feed him. <laughs> <laughs> and then put him back in. It was just the most – so, yeah. So, anyway, day two, I just wanted to go home. Day two, they he had a temperature. Mm. So, I said to the one of the nurses, he's got a temperature. So, then he went into the special care – unit mm. and that was for a day or two I think and then I think I went home day three or four it was quite quick for a caesar I think but I just wanted to go home mm. oh. but I don't in hindsight I wish I'd had more support with feeding because obviously you don't know what you're doing mm. and I ended up with nipples that were so Um, traumatized that I had to pull scabs off so I could feed him which was not pleasant and then I had the maternal and child health nurse come and she said to me oh you've got mastitis I think it was because I had saw you know like these Mm. nipples you've got mastitis so back in those days you weren't supposed to I think now they tell you to feed through it I think yeah. yeah back then it was like I could get in the shower and get a pump right and when I was pumping it was like look just look like blood oh and my husband said to me at that stage have you thought about bottle feeding so this yeah. was about three weeks in yeah. I think and I hadn't because I really because I had had I felt like a disconnected experience because I hadn't got to see him really or hold him for yeah,
0: why why is that
1: I think it was just the way it was done, that it was a very – it was more medically focused, I think. Right. Um,
0: I'm angry for you.
1: Yeah, well, you sort of think that – I remember feeling like I'd failed, like, oh, I couldn't even do that properly. You know, like, why – and then they kept saying it was an obstructed labour because I kept asking, well, what – you know, what happened? Hmm. And this midwife tapped me on the shoulder and she said, it's okay, love, because you would have just died in – You would have just died in childbirth like 100 years ago or something. It was really bizarre. Anyway, so I decided that, yes, I would put him on the bottle and everything was Mm. fine. With When I got... So Angus was almost four when I had Jesma Mm. and they said to me, oh, you can try and labour naturally but... We wanted to do a scan to see if there's a physical reason why Angus was stuck. Okay. So, I don't know. This is I sound like a dimwit, but I don't really know what the scan It was. one of It was like a CT scan, I think. where are not slid professional me, here. No, it's, <laughs> they slid me into this thing and they said to me that the width of my pelvis is normal, but the centre of my pelvis is smallish. Right. And so Angus... His head was thirty eight centimetres, I think, so he had a buff head. Mm-hmm. And Jesma's was forty two. Oh my god. So it was kind of like, No, um, no, thank you, I'll just have a Caesar and that experience, I mean it's it's not traumatic, it's very relaxed. Yeah. A scheduled Caesar. It's it's such a more pleasant experience. Yeah. But still they didn't I didn't see her until they wheeled me out of the lift into the ward, and I could hear this kid screaming. And I thought, "Oh my God, that's mine!" Mm. And this this beautiful little nurse said to me, "Oh, Mrs. Perry, what are you going to do?" And then she turns around and she said, "This is the lady who had the three month old baby." Oh. So Jess, Jess was nine five, I think, but her she was so long, and her head was she was just. She was such the sweetest little thing, but she was huge. Ooh. She was massive. <laughs> so I was just... a
0: lady who had three-month-old yeah.
1: baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then I just did the same thing, went home fairly quickly. Mm. Um, I sort of feel like, for me, there was no... I couldn't think of anything worse than staying in hospital because... At that stage, I think the Mercy was running on 75% agency staff. Mm. So What's that? So they were staffed in on that ward with people who were filling in or not permanent staff members. So you'd make a connection with one person or one person would come in and say, have you tried this with feeding? Have you tried that? Blah, blah, blah. And then you'd never see them again. Yeah. And then you, the next shift, you'd have somebody else come in who might have a di- different opinion and we tell had, you something yeah. completely different.
0: We had that, mm. um, and it was two years, two years ago, almost two years ago. Mm. It's just shifts like different midwives mm. and yeah, it's so really hard it was when confusing.
1: you're. It's hard when you're trying to grab on to something that feels like it's an idea. Yeah. Or how am I not doing this right? Will tell me how. I should do it yeah um so yeah I, I found i just didn't feel i'm sure if i had asked if i was on the buzzer all the time but i i didn't i was young i was 24 with angus and so i didn't want to make any waves i didn't want to make extra work for people and so i think that was part of it as well
0: mm. which is valid like you've never done this before mm um you kind of would expect some support Mm. so and like I feel the same I um you know in the birth I'm like okay I I didn't really have a birth plan but I wanted delayed cord clamping and I wanted skin on skin but I didn't ask for it because I was too scared and when you're in that moment you're just like is my baby okay just you just kind of take what you get mm. but um the midwife um I don't know if she's seen my file or maybe it's just her but you know I get what I wanted in the end but mm. not because I ask for it mm. and yeah I just feel like you didn't really get much support did you I think that you Everything
1: is so uncom- I felt really uncomfortable the whole because everything is new mm. and maybe because they had they knew obviously your occupation is on all of your information, so I don't know whether that had an impact on it because that's what I'd been doing anyway oh. but oh, I see and so um I think there's there's issues with staff there was issues with staff shortages. I'm sure the ratio is more even now, mm. that I understood that they were busy mm. and, you know, if they were sitting down drinking lattes, <laughs> I probably would have been, but they weren't. They were busy. motoring and, yeah. you know. So... But I know when I had... So Miranda's 17. Now when I had Miranda, it was 2002 and that was the first time when... I had heard they held the baby up over the. Sh- they dropped the sheet down and held the baby up,
2: mm.
1: and it was the. F- I, that was the first time I'd seen a baby that close to yeah. giving birth. Yeah. Um,
0: were all your kids at the same hospital?
1: No, mm. so um, we were in foot. We were living in Footscray, so the Mercy was where I had Angus. Then I went the other way to um, Sunshine to mm. have Jazz, mm. and. Then we we'd moved out of Melbourne, so I had Miranda out there mm. and Esther. I had at the women's, and I think that was because one of my one my age, mm. but also we were back in Melbourne by that stage, right? Yeah. Um. So Miranda had. Um. That was the other thing I probably need to talk about. It's because my babies all have large heads. Mm they use the circumference of the head to date how old the baby is. Right. So when – and they're all elective Caesars after Angus. So when they'd book me in for a Caesar, they would book me in at 37 weeks and I would be saying, I know that's how the baby measures, but I'm not – I'll only be – they booked me in at 38, I was only 37. Yeah. Oh, no, the baby's measuring this, blah, blah, blah. And then when I had Miranda, she had – trouble breathing because she was 37 weeks and so she went into the special care nursery mm. just for a day or two mm. until she I think she had I don't know what they call it wet lung or whatever.
2: Mm.
1: When I had Esther I said the same thing that you know they measure oh no that no no that's fine. No no she's 38 weeks or near enough and then I had Esther and then um I went, they wheeled me back into the room. Frank was sitting with Esther and I and Esther was grunting to breathe. Oh. And I thought, that's not normal. So luckily a doctor was walking past the room and I said to Frank, go and get that person. Mm. And they took her and they took her straight to ICU because she was grunting because she couldn't breathe. Mm. And I often think about if that had been my first baby,
2: mm.
1: what? What would have happened if I hadn't known that wasn't normal? Yeah. And Frank was obviously in that moment where he's just been in theatre, you've got this new baby, mm. he's probably not thinking, but you know straight away, okay, that's she's using her gut muscles to try and uh, get her lungs going. Poor
0: thing, yeah.
1: And I thought she'd gone into special care mm. nursery. So I asked for a – well, usually I walk, so I have to wait four hours – after you've had a seizure, then you can walk. And yeah. so I waited 4 hours and then I w- I said I want to go and see the baby. Yeah. And they took me into ICU and I thought, "Oh my god, this is not special oh. care." And So no one told you no, anything? Well, no. I that well, no, not really. I I knew she was somewhere, but I didn't really know. I didn't realize it was ICU. Anyway, then so I was in my in my bed with another woman whose baby was also not well so luckily we shared a room
2: yeah
1: so I was up expressing every two hours whatever but I didn't I hadn't really seen her properly she 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 was on the ventilator she she I wasn't able to sort of pick her up at that stage yeah and I didn't have a photo or anything and so this midwife, I think it was day two, came in and said, Have, "Haven't you got a photo of your baby?" I said, "No, I didn't even know." Do you get a photo? So they went and got a photo, and so that helped when I was trying to express. Yeah. But I didn't get any milk at all. Mm. So they sent me home from hospital while she was still in ICU, and I remember thinking, "This is not right. You're just mm. not supposed to leave your hosp- the hospital without your baby." Mm. So I went home that night and I thought maybe I'll wake up and I'll be full of milk or uncomfortable, but I didn't get any milk so I had to put her straight on the bottle. Oh,
2: okay. Or
1: well, they did say to me, we can give you hormones, and I thought, mm, I don't know whether that's a good idea. Mm. I think I'm hormonal enough without... Mm. I've got three <laughs> three mm. other children. and yeah. You know. So I think, I think you're right. I think my advice to my ch- girls, if they ever decide, and Angus, if they ever decide to have their own children mm. is to be... A bit more vocal yeah. or clear in what your expectations are. Mm. I think that's probably part of my generation. A bit that you sort of go along, don't don't you know, don't you don't cause any issues. Mm. Just, where my children are much more likely, I feel, to say, "Hang on a minute, that's not right," or "That's yeah. not what I want." Yeah, but I think there was, there was certainly an expectation. ...that you just sort of went along so you didn't make any waves... ...or you didn't cause any more work for people.
0: Mm. I'm still, I think... ...I'm still guilty of that. Mm. um, If I don't feel confident in a situation... ...I just kind of like hang back and keep my mouth shut. And Mm. I don't know if if that's a... I don't know. I don't think it's a generation thing. I think Mm. maybe... Sometimes we are placed in the situation where people um, are more assertive than us And mm. you're just kind of like, okay, well, I'll just sit here Yeah, and I'll,
1: just be, I'll just be the quiet one then
0: Yeah I mean, I
1: remember going to, I went to one ante- antenatal class at the Mercy And they're talking about breathing and, and I just sat there and I thought, there's a whole group of people here Who don't know how to fault because we didn't use disposables It was all cloth so Angus's bum never had a dispo- – neither did Jesma's. It wasn't until I had Miranda, really, where disposable nappies were the, the thing. Oh, wow. And I thought, no, we're all sitting here and we're all pretending we have some – it's going to come out regardless of what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. But nobody here knows how to make a bottle in the middle of the night. Nobody knows how to fold a nappy. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember thinking that the birth – well, it's really important you're informed, but I felt like my whole experience there was nothing I really got to decide it was all it was all decided by either the baby or the contractions, or you feel a bit like a vehicle for you know it, it it was going to happen regardless of what I wanted to happen, yeah but I think that has changed too, and I think there's a little bit more about what actually happens after the baby comes and Mm. um how are you going to prepare and a lot more discussion about your emotions and your mood and well, that that has that's really different
0: Mm. um with the mood thing and emotions it was discussed straight away when i went to Mm. my first appointment to see my ob at the mercy and um you know, they ask me how I'm feeling and I'm like my anxiety is through the roof mm. since I was pregnant I was just like on edge all the time and um, couldn't relax and the lady goes okay I'll give you a referral you're gonna see someone and mm. you're gonna see someone throughout the whole pregnancy and um, that was great like I you know I feel supported I don't feel like I'm the weird one for feeling mm. this way. That's really good. Mm. Yeah, because
1: there was no... It was more about how much calcium was in your diet and, <laughs> like, I remember having lots of diet discussions with
0: yeah.
1: with the people at the Mercy and the focus on the baby and um, there was really no discussion about mood. I don't even remember having a discussion about that with, with the... Um, Maternal and child health nurse.
0: Yeah, but how how did you feel afterwards? Like after each baby, um, with Angus,
1: I think I just went into. I was so tra. I didn't realize it then, but I felt traumatized. And yeah. when I when I feel like there's something going on that I can't deal with, I tend to shut down a bit and go into automatic mode. Yeah, which is what I did with him. Um, Frank didn't have any time off work he was working in a factory doing production and he they closed down for a set amount of time every year and so there was really no avenue for holidays yeah so Frank dropped me home the morning that he picked me up and went back to work so day one it was I remember putting Angus on the floor and just looking at him thinking right what do I now, do? What am I going to do now?
0: Did you get support from your parents?
1: No. Mum was mum was young. She was only 43, so she was working full-time still. Yeah. And they lived rurally. Right. And I was the first – well, none of my really close friends have got children. So
0: yeah.
1: I remember feeling lonely a lot. Mm-hmm. And although I think the first few weeks feeding – changing burping sleeping it all just rolls into so you don't know whether you're up or down really Mm. but I remember I remember being really protective of him but the first time I felt a rush of love in my chest was when he was about 12 weeks old I reckon
0: yeah
1: I put him in the bath he was laying in the bath and it was the I actually had a physical response to him and I think Nobody talks about that either, yeah, that oh my God, this baby's twelve weeks old, and I actually feel for the first time, I mean, I was very protective, yeah, and I was very good at meeting his physical needs, yeah. so but he, my emotional connection to him was at yeah twelve weeks, I mm-hmm. think,
2: mm.
1: and I think there was a little bit i f- I felt. Him and I were, it was a bit like him and I against the world, it felt a bit like.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's probably still how I feel. Now he's only 26. I still feel that it was like, oh my God, we survived that together. Yeah. And it was just you and I. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing, there's no filter. So anything he feels or thinks, he shares. And I'm probably a bit the same.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I've, I'm like that with my other children too, but there's not that survival. Like you feel like giving each other a high five
2: <laughs>
1: every time you see. And yeah. he's a really lovely man, and he's really happy, and mm. he's got a really lovely partner. And I think, oh my God, how we survived those first, you know, twelve months, mm. and particularly when I didn't have family around me, and I was, and Frank's family was very. Frank's has an Italian background and they were very traditionally Italian. Yeah. And so our whole way of communicating, the whole cultural cross connection yeah. meant that our communication often didn't work because everything was set out of trying to support and love, but it didn't always mix with an Anglo stiff upper lip. Do you know what I mean? Like it was and because I was so overwhelmed with the whole thing yeah i often felt like a suggestion would come across as a criticism Um. oh why don't you let him do that why isn't he doing you know and so it's really hard not to internalize that and think Mm. oh my god i'm not doing it right Mm. or and frank dealt with the whole thing by throwing himself into work Mm. so frank did every overtime hour that was around Mm. he if there was never any early finishes or anything, his way his way of thinking he was doing his part was to earn money to because work. I wasn't yeah, I wasn't working.
0: Yeah.
1: So in hindsight, that all changed by the time we had Miranda mm-hmm. because I thought, oh my God, I can't I, I had two children then so um Angus was six, seven, so he was eight jesma was f- nearly five mm. and i thought i can't you have to have some time off i can't because you're not supposed to drive and we were living mm. rurally at that time and so i'm driving up the freeway to take kids to kinder and school and yeah. i'm three days out of a caesar like this is yeah. not this is not helpful
2: mm.
0: so yeah going back to that um that gush feeling of mm. love i i felt the same i didn't when i first had akira i um one of the first thing i thought of was well you know when she came out i was like oh my god my baby but then the more i think about it the more i'm like i'm not feeling that rush of love everyone keeps talking about Mm. and of course with the anxiety thing it doesn't go well because then i was like Am I okay? Mm. Am I a bad mum instantly? Mm. I've never had a maternal instinct in my bones. Um, and then Kate, Catherine Wheeler, mm. <laughs> she goes to me, How do you, like, if someone you hate right now want to hold your baby, how would you feel? And I said to her, I'm, They can fuck right off. Mm. And she goes, Well, that's a maternity instinct mm. right there, the maternal instinct right there. Like, you're protective of your baby Mm. that's a form of you know connection Mm. and I'm like okay um okay so it's all going to be good (laughs) yeah then thank you it'll be fine like no literally like that's how I feel I'm okay and then from then on it's just kind of like I, I think I tricked myself into thinking everything will be okay because you know what it, it was okay mm. i was just worried mm. um and yeah and then the love feeling comes I, I actually don't know when it came i don't think it i realized the exact moment
2: but
0: mm. um yeah and now then i went through postnatal depression mm. and um you know now i just <laughs> this sounds cheesy but i just love her more and more every day Mm. like i'm literally that mom now who when she does something i just go oh so cute (laughs) someone get that on camera (laughs) Uh, we were at the akira's 18 month maternal child health nurse appointment and she was so grumpy because she was just overtired from care and um but then once she kind of um you know get a a grip and not Mm. be so grumpy anymore she'll do something and i think in that appointment i said and it was a half an hour appointment i said three times oh so cute (laughs) like to myself (laughs) but you know you think you think it gets easy like
1: as your children get older when they leave home because i've I've got now at that stage where two don't live at home it Mm. feels like there's something missing in mm. the chest mm. and as much as I'm really proud that they're both really independent mm. kids and they're really they really know what they want from their life and they're chasing it mm. there's still part of me that feels like well, why don't my children want to live at home everyone else's kids want to live at home like mm. you hear people say oh can't wait till can't get rid of them and mm. I and I think oh my god like it's not healthy for them, and I understand that. But I remember thinking when Angus left, he was 18, and I was dropping him at summer school for Melbourne Uni, and I left him at. He got on the train at <clears throat> Southern Cross, and I was standing in the middle of Collins Street, weeping, Aww. saying to him, "Why didn't I read you more stories?"
0: Oh, Lisa, <laughs> <It was so> <laughs> pathetic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he was like oh it's okay mum you know they're there <laughs> but that feeling hasn't gone and mm. so you know he'll come he's really um f- physically expressive so you he'll, he'll always give me a cuddle sometimes the and jesse too if you're sitting on the couch they'll lean on me and it's like you know you sure you don't want to move home no mum no, <laughs> <mom.
2: laughs>
0: it's yeah it's valid how you feel
2: mm. but at the
0: same time it's like you you also celebrate their independence, mm. and being a helicopter parent is probably the worst thing you can do mm. to your kids. I reckon. I think that that
1: I guess that was part of my early childhood training was you know to to let they have to take risks, they have to try, they have to fail to then get the self esteem and the resilience once they've they've achieved something. So that's how. So that all goes back to that, but I, I, I did pass my mind as Angus walked away from me. Why didn't I just tell you you were more useless?
2: Mm.
1: Like, why didn't I do? You know, mm. why didn't I do everything for you? And you know, he's they're both really so Jes, Jez and Angus both cook. They they're really independent mm. people, and I know there's been a, there's been a lot of their friends who I think have grown up and then get into early adulthood and really struggle to find their feet because all of a sudden it's just you paying your bills or it's you that's responsible yeah and so i'm glad that that they've found that the transition's been quite easy yeah but um yeah it's not easy for for you
0: (laughs) (laughs) because you love them
1: I do. And and i will
0: always be your baby. Mum says to me all the time, you might be grown up, but you'll always be my baby. Always. And I'm like, yeah, don't treat me like I'm still 12, though. <laughs> I'm an adult. She, she, she keeps saying to me, you'll always be my baby. and It's true. Yeah.
1: And I think that Miranda, the anxiety for Miranda to go because she's just finished year 11. Mm. So I know I've only got, technically I could One. have 12 months left. Yeah. But my anxiety is nothing compared to Esther's. The fear for Esther to be left the only child at home. Yeah. <laughs> she so doesn't want it just to be. She says, oh, what am I going to do when it's just you, Dad, and I? Like it's not going to be fun and it's going to be.
0: <laughs> thanks, Esther. I'm a fun mum. And I said, yeah,
1: I know. But it's, yeah, that. So that when they start walking and then they start talking and then, you do the transition to school and then mm. high school it, it doesn't stop that it, that evolution of your relationship mm. continues to change mm. and the first time one of my kids said fuck in front of me I remember thinking mm, I'm not sure that that's what you're supposed but now if you don't allow that evolution to happen I think your relationship with them as adults stays at 17 and so you don't I think you do yourself a disservice because it doesn't allow you to then have that different relationship where I'm not responsible for you anymore I just love you and want to have fun with Mm -hmm. you
0: and it's the context I think Mm. swear words it's it's really hard I think it's a hard topic Mm. um I swear a lot Mm. but I don't you know I might say fuck to you but I don't say fuck you Lisa that's right um, and I think swearing when we're just communicating just talking mm. Oh, that was a shit time I think that's fine mm. um, obviously you want them to behave and not use it so much I guess but you know I think the moment when if they go fuck you Chris mm. that's when you're like no you mm. need to be more respectful that's right. um be the bigger person but I've got a few years yet um yeah and but I think that they
1: I have I have a I know that I've been around people who swear like fishmongers and I've never heard their children swear mm. so I think it's about
0: your attitude Mm. to it well dan and i swear a lot Mm. and dan has a 13 year old daughter and she she's not a sailor like but you know if she's super super angry that that that's when it comes out and we're like don't talk to us like that (laughs) (laughs) who taught you this (laughs) i don't know where you heard that (laughs) um you know and it's frustration and we do it too and it's we get it Mm. they're humans you know and if you can't shelter them from everything because no. they're going to learn it from other people at school and mm.
2: um
0: this is me like telling myself it's okay. <laughs> it's true.
1: That's it's true and you 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 have to you have to choose I think the worst thing you can do is not be open-minded about you know from 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 me going from worrying about how my children are going to socialize mm. Or how they're going to behave at school
2: mm.
1: Now we've sort of moved on where we've got all, you know The open um, discussions around both my older children identifying as queer And fluid sexuality And and I th- I'm really grateful that we have allowed ourselves to be non-judgmental I think, or yeah. not shut that discussion off Because... Mm. They know that there's nothing they could do that Mm. would make me judge them or sometimes I'll think, oh, that was a really dumb thing to do. But, yeah, yeah, I guess that I've probably found... This is not going to make people with young children happy, but Mm. the transition from leaving high school into early adulthood has been probably harder mentally to get your head around how am I going to support these kids without doing it for them or
2: Mm.
1: how do I make sure that regardless of who you love they're welcome here regardless of whether they're animal mineral whatever if if that's your person then they're automatically our person Mm. and I think you know I see a lot of people struggle with that where they've drawn a line in the sand it's like well we don't like that we don't and I think it's it's so beyond what you like or what your personal view is I think Mm. if you're going to Mm. maintain a connection
0: with them yeah how do they feel when they first come out to you do you do you know um, well not that
1: f- I have always just assumed that everybody thought like me mm. that you fall in love with a person not mm. a gender mm. but obviously I've learned along the way that's not how people feel mm and i guess i talked a lot with the kids about the sliding scale of sexuality mm-hmm. and at one end is really really hetero and that that side is homosexual and I, and i guess what we've always had a lot of diversity in our friend groups mm-hmm. and the kids have always been exposed to same sex couples with children not with children mm. and so it was always kind of normal mm. i remember one, one, I won't say which one, but one just said to me one day we were driving, oh, by the way, I'm by, And I just said, oh, that's okay, love. Like, great. That was sort of it. And then they just burst out laughing and they said, what, how, why, how, aren't you supposed to be? <laughs> I thought, no, I don't, it doesn't, I don't care who you love. As long as you're safe and as long as they love you. So that was, that, that was one mm. and the other um, child, they express themselves always externally in their fashion and they've never fit into a mould mm. in that socially they were ostracised as children so they were the kid in the class that didn't get invited to any birthday parties and so we've always focused on their individuality and what a how fantastic it is to be like that than be beige. Mm. Because all the interesting people in the world are actually like you. Mm. And so they've really grown up not giving a shit about what people think or trying to fit in. I think they're really hurt and they had a lot of emotional issues going into early teenage years about not being accepted. Right. But I think they have learned to celebrate their weirdness. You know that's what we've just said to them we're all we're all nuts in this mm. family, and that's that's what makes you interesting and mm. so, I don't think for them it was sometimes I know their partners will one of the partners will turn up and you know I sort of I, I you forget that they're either male or female yeah. it's it's so irrelevant, yeah, it's more about. Jesma's partner if I could if I could have built my own partner for Jesma I couldn't have found a better person than who she chose
2: yeah
1: and this person is the just the best fit and I think she's the happiest she's ever been in her life Mm. and she feels the most stable emotionally and her artwork is incredible and the amount of work she's producing is really great quality but also she's she's producing a lot of work mm. so that just makes i don't care who it is the fact that jesmer is so happy and in great place just it's just the best thing it's all you could ever really want
0: yeah
1: and Ang- angus's partner is also as they fit like pieces of a puzzle and i mean look angus is still he's still got another year of uni to go so mm. Once it'll be interesting to see. Once life takes that next step, where they've he transitions into working. Mm. And What's he doing? So he's doing medicine at Melbourne mm-hmm. Uni. So he took a gap here. He did a. He was doing. He's been doing a placement. He was working at the northernest part of his course, mm. and the doc, the young doctors that were working there, had said to him that if he doesn't have some time off before he finishes, then he's not going to really get a break for five years or whatever right. so he decided to take a year off and this year he's traveled quite a few times but he's also working in the gender clinic at the royal children's
0: the gender clinic yeah it? so
1: it's for children that are um transitioning or okay pre and post transition I think that's what it is right I didn't
0: I didn't know that that's yeah so it's exists. support
1: for children and families I think I yeah. don't really know but I know he he sometimes I wonder like you're saying how cute sometimes your children do things and it's like oh my god that's amazing yeah and I guess it's hard to share that with other people without sounding like you're bragging. You're a bragger. Yeah. Which is sad,
0: really, mm. because
1: I think that why regardless why can't we
0: talk about how proud we are yeah. of the people
1: we love. And regardless of what the achievement is, if that's a thing for you, then that should be celebrated as much as anything else. Mm. And I think that I get a lot of comments like, "Oh, you must be so proud of him," like as in doing medicine more than and I remember we were laying in bed. I was laying in bed. Esther was a baby, and then Angus was on the other side. When he got his ATAR score, mm. and we're laying there, and he gets his score, and he's got into medicine. And the first, I remember just thinking, "Oh my God! Like, does he have any idea what he's in for?" Mm. So we did lots of talking about you do what makes you happy. Yeah. You know, people at school were saying to him, "Don't waste your brain," and I kept saying to him, "It's not their. It's not their business." So Frank and I were actually trying to talk him out of it because mm. one, the suicide rate for young medical students is so high, mm. the pressure, yeah. the impact on his mental health.
2: Yeah.
1: But he stayed he's he stayed well, he loves it. That's great. Jesma's, you know, achievements as far as she's Jesma has dyslexia and mm. so really struggled to read until grade four or five Mm. passed vce got into a degree
2: Mm.
1: hitting stuff out of the park like Mm. i think people have no idea how hard jess had to work to achieve what she's achieved Mm. and that is no less than angus do you know what i mean it's more that i'm so proud that they were brave enough to choose a goal and then just work their guts out to get it and i don't care whether the goal was being an apprentice plumber or being a doctor yeah. the fact that you were brave enough to say that's what i want yeah. and then go for it is
0: yeah amazing i'm from a culture where success means you're a doctor um mm. or you know um and mum, when i was a teenager she goes doctors don't have piercings and tattoos and i'm like that's fine i'm not. You know, I'm not going to be a doctor It's fine with me And she's like, no, you're going to study hard You're going to go to school, you're going to go to uni And you're going to, you know The expectation on me I would say on me And not so much my younger brother Is quite high Mm. Um, And But it's, you know, it's expected From an uh, Asian culture family You know, tiger moms are, Are the is a term mm. and but i also remember that when i graduated uni she was super proud and i didn't become a doctor yeah, <laughs> didn't study yeah. medicine um went. and when i got my first job she was so proud um and she was reluctant for me to quit my full-time job to do sorry my then part-time job to do yumi and bones full-time because she's worried about her kid right Mm. but i took the step anyway and i think the pattern is i don't really listen to her (laughs) um (laughs) and she was proud of me Mm. and she's in a really weird way she does show me that she's proud of me Mm -hmm. even though I don't listen to her at all and (laughs) she she tries she might to control me I'm just like I guess air quote the disappointment (laughs) in the family um but yeah is your younger brother a doctor no (laughs) (laughs) he he is not sorry (laughs) mum um none of us are, are what she wanted to be I just I just
1: think that they're it's such a – I mean, I understand the pay is great, but I guess what I'm thinking is the hours and, mm. you know, it's – yeah.
0: Mm.
1: It's it's Emotional
0: ha- attachment. Yeah, like, not attachment, but it's so emotional. Like I was actually – at one stage I wanted to be a police officer um, and then emotionally I thought about it and i'm like i don't think i'm strong enough emotionally mm. to be able to deal with domestics and calls about children and it's hard work it's, it's really i think that um
1: i know luckily that i that he he confides a lot in frank and i thankfully yeah, yeah. so often he'll give us a ring on the way home from a shift mm. um but also his partner i mean i think that it's like he's lucky he's got some support around him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he's gr- he's got a really good group of friends mm. um but yeah it's it's a lot of pressure mm. i mean not that it not that everything else isn't but i think that the competition within that course is also so you're with a whole group of people that have been the top of everything yeah. their whole life yeah and so the first open session they had one of the professors got up and said, basically, you need to start thinking about not being the best because some of you are not going to be the best and some of you are going to be mediocre and, mm. you know, you could hear the, oh, you know, that.
0: Nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: I think, you know, like it's... And Angus is also from a blue-collar family, so mm. Angus has been dropped into this world he knows nothing about. Mm. So, you know, he's gone from just a normal family with four kids living pay-to-pay really Mm. into a world where people are buying cars, sports cars for their children for getting into uni and Mm. he's going to houses in Brighton that are mansions and it's it's a totally different Mm. world and so I think he has maintained who he is thankfully Mm. and they're all all the kids are really socially conscious so I think that has enabled him to be fairly grounded and mm. and yeah that we're all you know we live in the western suburbs we're yeah. not we're not those people they're not our people
0: yeah and nothing's wrong with Like nothing's wrong with that It's just a different world
1: Totally different And when you haven't been exposed to it I think it was an Mm
0: eye-opener I remember when I was a teenager Mum's friend with this lady who has a daughter Who was a few years younger than me And um, they're rich And this was still in Thailand So um, as well as having a nanny They also had a cleaner, a live-in cleaner A live-in nanny And a live-in driver it's that's a lot (laughs) so um their house is massive and you know they've got um guest houses for their workers and um i really like the girl she's lovely but we've always only been to their house and then go out somewhere she's never been to ours so she was super excited to come to ours and she was like i'm so excited to see your house it's i'm pretty sure it's bigger than mine it's (laughs) gonna be massive blah blah blah." and i'm like no i'm telling you our house is nothing okay don't be so excited and like i had she was just like no 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 you're just being modest and she saw our house and she was like oh (laughs) She was disappointed that Mm. I'm not and she was like I'm pretty sure she was 10 and I was 12 Mm. or she was younger and it's kind of sad to see that everything is so materialistic Mm. to her and Mm. and we weren't friends for long. I don't know what happened. I I think um, our mums had a fallout but yeah she was just so disappointed that Mm. i we weren't rich Mm. (laughs) and it's a big it was a big deal to her well i think
1: it's a bit of a shock it's a shock to how much wealth is actually around because if it's not part of your world and vice versa i mean i'm sure angus's mates were looking back at our life Mm. thinking you know oh my god there's there's six of you living in a 12 square house Mm. You know you've only got one bathroom Mm. isn't someone going to die you know that kind of but I think in one generation that's happened Mm -hmm. I mean I we all grew up in 10 all my friends had one bathroom you're lucky if the toilet was inside Mm. and there was always three kids and or more in a 10 square house Mm -hmm. I think it's but yeah I mean I I know that Esther's We live in Carolyn Springs, so there's a lot of really big homes out there. Yeah. And Esther's always – she's got her favourite big house and – in your head as she's i'm driving back from or we're walking back from school and she'll say oh one day i'm going to have a big house like that and in my head i'm thinking but who's going to vacuum it
0: who's going to <laughs> yes. who's going to clean the pool no, exactly like i would love to have a house with a pool but i know who's going to be the one <laughs> cleaning it and it's probably me <laughs> so we're not getting a pool <laughs>
1: so it's really interesting how people see how your perspective changes from being 11 to um yeah to now where yeah, i look at those houses and i think that's a really impressive house and Mm. then the next thing is oh my god who vacuums it Mm.
0: if you're gonna have i reckon it's fair to say that if you're gonna have a massive house Mm. and be able to afford that Mm. then you have to be able to afford a cleaner as well (laughs) i think because you're gonna spend all your time cleaning the house (laughs) (laughs) and with kids like Mm. forever cleaning
2: Mm.
0: yeah um Thank you so much for the chats today. That's okay. Is there anything you want to talk about?
1: No, I think <laughs> I hope it was all relevant.
0: No, it was good. <laughs> it's um a really nice perspective, I think mm. for me. Um so we'll have a I think maybe a couple of weeks break before I release um another episode for 2020. I can't believe it's already it's crazy. Mm. Time just flies and yeah (laughs) um okay thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and give us um a review and rate the podcast thanks lisa thank you thanks Juan.